Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw. And today I bring you Mara and Stephen Klemek. When I was a Division I All-American athlete, I was hyper-focused and I was able to take consistent action that allowed me to be one of the best in the country at what I did. Well, for years after I was done competing, I just struggled to stay focused on my goals day in and day out. I was easily distracted, so I wasn't able to stay consistent, the kind of consistency that you need to have to achieve goals that are meaningful to you. It was discouraging for me. I felt like I was just slipping kind of into mediocrity. Then after interviewing some of the highest performers in the world, Olympians, CEOs, billionaires, best-selling authors, I discovered how they do it. I discovered 18 powerful and sometimes weird tactics that they use to stay focused at work, focused on the right things while also living a balanced life. And if you start using probably just three of these today, you're going to get more done in the next eight hours. I promise. This is not tomorrow, not next week. These will work today. I guarantee it. It's like magic, but they're real world solutions to it. People like you and me want the ability to stay focused, avoid distraction, and be consistent. I use at least four of them every day and have used all of them at some point. And now I'm able to stay focused while I'm at work and get probably 50 to 100% more done each day. I'm more present when I'm home with my wife and four kids. And the result is I have a stronger relationship with my family and I'm still able to achieve incredible goals like being selected to give a TEDx talk at one of the biggest TED events in the world, like launching a podcast and talking to A-list guests and running a half marathon, all of this while having a full-time job that includes frequent travel, working nights and weekends and all that good stuff. So you're going to find solutions on this list that are going to surprise you. Grab your copy of the 18 Tactics to Staying Focused at Work. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash focus. That's jimharshawjr.com slash focus. Now, as we get into this interview, you will see how different Mara and Steven are. They're absolutely incredible people with very different backgrounds and very different pasts. The interesting combination between the two makes them a powerful couple because they have created something that is absolutely fascinating. They've created something called the Heart Styles Indicator. Now, I read their book and then did the Heart Styles Indicator and we talk about it. Matter of fact, I actually reveal something in the Heart Styles Indicator that I probably wouldn't normally have uh, revealed uh, a few years back, but you'll see why whenever we get to that part of the interview. Um, but a couple of things that they do share, they, they share six ways to develop your character and they share that what they're doing is being used by CEOs, leaders, and professionals of all caliber, of all types, in all kinds of different industries. So this may sound a little bit soft, a little bit tree-huggery, as, uh, as Steven says at one point in the interview, but this is stuff that is being used by the highest performers on the planet, and I hope that you gain as much insight out of this as I did. Now, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action, because has all kinds of bullet points and uh, things from this interview that uh, that you'll want to take with you. So that's enough for me. Let's get to my interview with Stephen and Mara Klemek. Mara and Stephen, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, Jim. Hello, Thank you Jim. for having us, and we hope we can add value to your listeners. Uh, I'm certain that you will because I've already read your book, and, and I've gotten a lot of value out of that, and we're going to take as much as we can and out of that and, and deliver it to the listeners right here. So congratulations on, on your book launch, and I know you guys have been super busy with that, and, uh, and I appreciate you making time for the show. So let's just start with this. Can you guys give us a little bit of background on yourselves? Tell us where you grew up and the short version of how you got from there to here. Very good. Oh, short version. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> Being a woman, I might take a lot of detail, so I'll try to be Lay it on brief. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. Not sure what you, you know what you're asking. Okay. Well, you can hear by my accent that I am uh, from Australia, um, but I actually am Italian. I just have a wonderful Australian accent that I'm very proud of. Um, come from Italian parents and have uh, lived in Europe, but also um, latter few years of my life in, in Australia. I 
am a clinical psychologist by trade and particularly a clinical neuropsychologist. So it's a little bit unusual <laughs> having both of those things. Wow. Um, but I spent most of my career actually as a, a clinical neuropsychologist in the hospital system and in private practice. What is a clinical neuropsychologist? I mean, for, for well, the layman, can, <laughs> can you break that down? What I, say is that? She's, I say she's the psychotherapist. I'm the psycho and she's the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, oh, dear. Uh, okay. Neuropsychologist is um, it's a mixture of neurology, so medical, uh, looking at how the brain, actually particularly the brain works, and psychology. So how does um, literally the physiology of the brain, how is that manifested in uh, our behaviour, our thinking, um, our emotions? Um, so, for instance, I saw people who had uh, brain injuries of some description, either through drugs, alcohol, uh, stroke, uh, all sorts of things. So the neuropsychologist um, works with the neurologists and neurosurgeons and you uh, assess people with lots of different tests to help understand what damage there is, if there is any, and also how is that going to affect you in your life, in your sort of natural behaviour and, and thinking. So that's what neuropsych is. I also, so I worked in the hospital system with that and primarily, and also as a clinical psych, only because uh, most hospitals need a lot more funding. So <laughs> because I did both things, that was great. One person yeah. could do both. But I loved that. And um, I also got into, so this is another long story, but uh, just very quickly, I was also a forensic neuropsychologist in the uh, court system in Australia. So I used to assess people in murder trials, um, which I do joke that has prepared me very well for working with people in business, <laughs> especially <Yeah>. coaching CEOs. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hopefully you're not running across any murderers no, there. No, but... I'm not. No, yes. <laughs> and that's not how we met and either, Jim. So. Myra <laughs> <laughs> spent more time in and out of prison than you were a client. Yeah. Together. Yeah. I usually like to say I didn't yeah. come out of the prison, so I can mm. just stay in there. So anyway, that, that was me. And then I got into consulting and uh, eventually met Stephen and uh, we then mm. uh, created the uh, business heart styles. So that's me. I'll better get off now. Let's see. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Mara. And how yeah, about well, Stephen? My, my background is quite, I'm an Aussie, of course. I had a very dysfunctional childhood, in, incredibly broken and dysfunctional. When I was 19, I read a book that changed my life. I grew up dyslexic didn't enjoy reading, had a very broken background. My dad died when I was one. So I had this sort of father void and always searching and as a teenager, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and all of that. But when I was 19, I read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, my favourite book. Yeah. Mm. And it changed my life. It flicked a switch in me to go on the search. I could believe in myself um, I, I could start to transform my mind. I could start to you know, improve as a person. And from that day on, I just went on a huge journey of personal growth and personal development, which eventually led me into a, a point of being able to create a business that helped others have that same transformational experience through uh, leadership development programs and team development programs, etc. So in 1987, can you imagine this? 1987. You probably weren't even born, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I was born. I was, about, I was about nine years old, but uh, or eleven years old. Sorry, but uh, yeah, this ways back. Yeah, 33 years ago, I started a business, and the and the mission statement was developing soul in business. Now I can tell you, in the 80s, I was laughed out of boardrooms uh, with with a mission statement like that, but. Now, I persevered, lots of ups and downs, and I know you believe a failure is part of our development, which I totally agree. So we, I went through you know, enormous amounts of rejections and failures and learning how to position something that could help people develop. But I'm also a, a mad mountaineer and outdoor person. So what I did is I combined our theoretical learning with outdoor development learning back in the late 80s. And it took, I had a few crazy CEOs that were brave enough to work with me and take uh, their leadership team into the outdoors, teach them about different behaviours and personalities and put those to the test in the outdoors. And what I found, Jim, was the people who really developed were people who took it to heart. And 
way back in those days, so, you know, your early 90s now, and I just recognize there's something about the heart attitude. We glorify the brain and we change our thinking. But if we're trying to change our thinking and our heart is broken or angry or frustrated, and there seems to be, an, you know, say our heart's just you know, driven out of fear or ego. I just found that until people shifted their heart, they didn't really become their best self. So the short story is our brand heart styles is that our style of life actually comes from the heart. Interesting. So, you know, now over decades of research and experience, you guys have created the heart styles indicator. And, and is this a tool that we can use to, to do that first? And are you saying that we need to first understand our heart and, and where this comes from and, and sort of understand that before we can really get the full value of any personal development work? Well, that, that's part of the journey of learning what's how, happening in our heart. So let's just take it into any context. I think one of the very simple examples we use in the book to help people is this little formula called S plus T equals B. Situation plus our thinking drives our behavior. Now, that formula is in the book, and a very simple example we give is, you know, two people are walking through Central Park in New York, and a big dog runs out, and when that dog runs towards these people, you've got two different types of behavior. One person wants to pat the dog, and one person wants to run away from the dog, and the difference is their thinking. Now, person A might have growing up with dogs and had a dog for their birthday and growing up with dogs and they're very friendly and want to pat dogs. And then the second person has probably had a personal experience where they might have been bitten by a dog when they were young. So their heart has very different emotional memory of a dog coming out. Right. And when you recognize that you've got thinking and an emotional reaction, the dog comes out. One has an emotional reaction of love. Oh, it's a dog. Come and pat the dog. One has an emotional reaction of fear. This dog is going to get me and bite me. And this is where we start to get people to understand in their lives, if we look back on our lives, where have we got an emotional experience that could be damaging us in a a very different situation, but because of something in the past, if you've had rejection or a failure and you go to have another go after failure, but you've got this emotional memory in your heart of, oh, what if I, that happens again? And it's painful. And what we're finding as people go on a de personal development journey is they recognize what's happening in their heart and they're thinking and we're connecting the dots. We're putting these two things together and people having fantastic transformation experiences. Yeah. So you're connecting the logic to the emotion, right? We feel certain emotions, right? Okay. I'm applying for a job and I have to go into a job interview or I need to have that tough conversation with my boss or with my spouse. And we have fear. Maybe we've failed there before. So maybe we don't do it. Is it a matter of understanding, you know, like once you gain that understanding of, okay, this is what I, I'm feeling this certain feeling and this is why I'm feeling this feeling. Does it then help you move forward with more courage um, or more understanding and help you sort of hedge against those things so that you can perform at a higher level? Yeah. So if you go back to that little formula, S plus T equals B, where the T stands for thinking, what underlies our thinking are triggers and templates and truth that we create out of that. So the awareness is actually about what sort of what is driving that feeling. So if I am going, if I uh, my boss calls me into his office, he just walks past and says, "Mara, I just need to see you in my office." Now, if I have an old template, which is a uh, an original memory and experience that has been significant to me positive or negative, and it's been filed away in my little memory cabinet. If I have an old template that is from years ago, could be years ago, or another, even another job, another situation, that says, oh, I know that tone of voice. Whenever I hear that, I'm in trouble, which may or may not be true, 
but it triggers an old template that carries that, that old memory. I can actually start feeling negative and defensive before I even get to that office. Right. But it might be a totally different situation. But because it's such a powerful thing, templates are incredibly powerful because of the way they're, and this is, I'm getting very neuropsychological here, but the way that they're actually embedded into our memory system is not just the memory, but it's the emotions and the physical experience that went with that, the physiology. So they can be very strong. And a lot of times, because most of us don't think, unlike me that wanders around thinking, oh, there's a template in life. Most people don't, don't realise they've got templates. Right, they're and not even aware of them. No, no, they're not. And they're aware of maybe a change in how they feel. And if it's an uncomfortable feeling, if we go back to that, that example, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable, I will then try to find a way of dealing with that and strategizing it. And I'll probably, for most of us, I'll start to feel that I need to protect myself against it. And so all of this can go on in about a couple of split seconds. I can suddenly become very defensive. I walk into my, my boss's office and, and they were in a hurry. So their voice tone probably was a bit abrupt because they were in a hurry. They had no issue with me. But I could go in quite, you know, potentially quite defensive and totally ruin <laughs> what could have been a you know, perfectly reasonable conversation by either not hearing things or, or you know, behaving in a way that's not appropriate for this, the current situation based on an old S plus T equals B without even realizing it. And I want to point out, like you said, you can ruin a perfectly potentially positive situation by this thinking. And, and so this is a real obvious one, right? This is a major one that everybody can kind of imagine. But you can replicate this throughout your day. It probably happens a hundred times yeah, a day, oh, right? Absolutely. In these small instances and these big instances. And then it gets worse because then you take it home. Sure. <laughs> and you right. bring you it into it your, with your partner, you know, or your children. Partner, uh, kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, in every aspect of your life. And yourself too. You're doing this yourself. Yes. Well, this is what self-awareness. And I know that these are a lot of common terms, but if, if when people start to look at their heart responses to things. They start to realize, oh, wow, why, why my behavior? And this is where we describe behavior above the line and below the line. Below the line is defensive, coming out of fear and ego-driven pride. And that is the way we defend ourselves, fight or flight. Now, it, it, it sort of works. It might change something or get results in the short term, but it doesn't build relationships or a great culture or great relationships, be it family or at work. The above the line behavior is, is built out of another two sets of values, courageous humility and growth-driven love. So this is where if we understand my heart is actually operating out of self-limiting fear or ego-driven pride. I've got to prove myself. I've got to be better than somebody else. And how dare you say that to me? And all of that is driven by fear. If that's how our heart is operating, Jim, it costs us a lot of energy mm. and it costs us a lot of negative behavior. Now, if we're having that in the workplace or having it at home and bringing it into our family, uh, you know, there's a lot of tension built out of that negative behavior. And unfortunately, part of our world has actually rewarded that behavior. The business world <laughs> rewarded that behavior, particularly in the 80s and 90s. The more aggressive you were and you just got results anyway, we paid you more money. But it didn't, didn't build culture or engagement. Well, we're, our research now is indicating if we can drive results out of courageous humility and growth-driven love, it still gets results. It creates culture and engages the current generations. And there's one quote that I pulled out of the book that I, I want to read back to you. And I think this you know, speaks directly to what we're talking about right now. You said, there's no passion to be found in playing small, in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. Is that, does that happen often because people are driven by fear or pride as opposed to courageous humility or growth-driven love? Yeah, yeah, I think I think um, a lot of times we're driven by our templates, and we don't actually realise that. And because of that, we it's when you're driven by positive templates, that's fantastic because that's usually when you can live above the line, <laughs> you know, in a positive positive way, continually being uh, not being afraid of being vulnerable and authentic, and being achievement driven, and being able to give out of your own full cup, if you like, to to be able to love and care for other people. 
But for most of us, I think we don't realise that our negative templates are actually more damaging to us than we realise because they're so subconscious. And sometimes those negative templates can drive us to, to shrink ourselves for fear of succeeding as well. Yeah, and, that, and that fear, Jim, when that fear gets a hold of us, we either play small mm. and we withdraw we become very dependent. These are the behaviours that we recognise when we're coming out of that fear. We avoid, we become very dependent and easily offended and then we need lots of approval from people so we become approval seekers. Sure. Now, the, the natural way to get out of fear, we think, is to be aggressive. So when fear is driving me, sometimes we, we think, all right, well, I'm just going to go and be better than someone else. I'm going to compete. I'm going to control. I'm going to strive for perfection. I'm going to be the smartest, funniest, sarcastic person in the room. And we use aggressive behavior to actually mask fear. And they're the, they're the below-the-line behaviors that we often use. And it's really important to make the point here, Jim. This is just normal. Yeah, it's, it's not your, You're not a bad person. It's just normal. And that's how most people operate, fear and pride, fear and pride. There's positive pride, which, of course, is love, and there's positive fear, which is courage. So when you go above the line, if you've got fear, how do you become courageous with humility? And when you operate an ego-driven pride, how do you work out of love? And, and that's where love is positive pride. So when people say, you know, I, I love my kids or I love my brand, that, that's above the line pride. Below the line pride is when it's all about me, me, me instead of we, we, we. So, yeah, we see, we see it all the time in life. And it's important to point out, like you said, it's not because you're broken or there's something wrong with you. Everybody has these things, right? And yeah. you can learn about this through the Heart Styles Indicator and everybody can take the Heart Styles Indicator. Am I right? Do you, I think you have to buy the book. Yeah. You get a free yeah, online free. assessment when you get the book. Yeah. And so I took mine. And so I, I, I want to, I'm looking at mine right now and and I, I want to just point out to the listeners, it's, it's, it's really neat. You know, you get this simple breakdown um, and there, there's four boxes and tells you, you know, if you're above the line or below the line in these various areas. And so what I want to ask is, can you, if you know that you are low in a certain area or if you're below the line, right, in a certain area, can you improve that score? And, and let, me, let me tell you kind of where I'm coming from with this. So I, I know one thing about myself is that I'm pretty closed off. I don't tend to like, like to share a whole lot. That's my natural state. Semi-private person. I'm, you know, I think a lot of people would say that I'm an extrovert, but I'm part introvert, part extrovert. I definitely enjoy being around people and socializing and things like that. And I also enjoy my closed off time, right? Well, I now have a personal brand and a podcast where I'm talking to people all the time, right? And opening myself up. And so I go through an assessment like this and it's a self-assessment, right? It's all me. I'm, I'm the one doing this. Yes. And I fill all of this stuff out <laughs> and I'm looking at my, my score for authentic and I am so far below the line. Uh, it's a, it's on 1%. Oh, and, and I look at that and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like I need to open up now. I, as I go through that assessment, I think I'm looking at my sort of natural state and I've done, I, I know that about myself and I've known that about myself for years and over the past several years, I've grown tremendously in that area. And I think my listeners could attest to that because they've heard me open up and share things. And, and I do so more on social media and whatnot. I'm definitely, definitely a much more open, authentic, vulnerable um, person, genuine person. Mm -hmm. But my score shows low. So is this assessing me? Does this help somebody like me go, okay, I'm naturally low there, so I need to like hedge against that and, and you know, notice that about myself and therefore open up? I'll kind of turn it over to you at that point. Yeah, well, Jim, first of all, you're answering your own question because you're saying, can people change and develop? And you've been going through a transformation. 
because you're because of your podcasts and everything that you're doing. So it's really important to know that that Heart Styles is not a personality profile. Personality profiles are fantastic. There, there's loads of them out there, and often our personality doesn't change. But what we're talking about here is our character development, and you've been on a character development journey because where you've you've been closed, you're now learning to share yourself, to be more vulnerable, and that great work of Brené Brown's around vulnerability. And that's where it takes courage to do this. So for you, you're, you're learning to be more and more courageous, to be more open and more vulnerable. Now, you did a self-assessment, and your thinking might still be stuck in your old thinking, Oh, I'm, I, and you've marked yourself too low at times. And it's very likely that if you did the 360 version and you had other people fill out heart styles on you, others might even score you higher in your authentic than you've scored yourself. Well, they couldn't score me much lower. So <laughs> <laughs> now, now the point is to transform your mind because right. you're still stuck in. If we go back to the first example, if you believe dogs bite, every dog you see, you're going to still believe that dogs right. bite. Right. Well, if you believe every dog is friendly, now you've probably got a belief system there that's saying, oh, you know, I'm pretty closed. I'm not very open. And you've marked yourself quite low when you've scored yourself. Sure. Right, right, right. Because you're still stuck in your old thinking, even though you're practicing different behaviors. Right. So the logic, like logically, I know that I'm more authentic. And yeah, if I did the 360 <laughs> version, I'm sure it would be much, much higher. And but my logic is saying that and but my emotionally i'm saying no jim you're you're still that person and, right. and, and i'm this not we're believing that you're you've been on a transformational journey now that takes character development to do that not an indicator <laughs> the indicator is just an indicator we didn't call it a profile on purpose it's an indicator and it's just giving you an indication that you're actually still marking yourself too low so now how can you go above the line, get the courage yourself to say, you know what, Jim, for the last year or two, you've been practicing different behaviors. You've been way more courageous, way more vulnerable. And next time I score that heart styles thing, I'm going to score myself higher. But we'd like you to score yourself higher in your heart, not on the <laughs> first. Because until you believe it in your heart and find that gold in your heart, you're limiting yourself, Jim. And you know, thanks for being so vulnerable yeah, and sharing all of this with us. Yeah, I guess that's an example of, uh, <laughs> of me being willing to share that, right? In the past, I wouldn't exactly. even have wanted to share that. Right? Um, you see? I'm happy so to now, share that now. Now you can start to look at the man you've become rather than yeah. the man you have been. You right, know? yeah, that's so helpful. You mentioned in the book, the six keys to growing your character. What are those keys? How do we... How do we grow our character once we take, you know, do the indicator? How do we grow from this? Well, you've already started on the yeah. first point. Because <laughs> yeah, the first point is, is basically being courageous with yourself and really looking at your own self-awareness and, and being honest. A bit like what I, what I said to you before, it's, it's looking at the person you've become and are becoming rather than, and this is not just for you, but for all of us, you know, we have a tendency to to be hard on ourselves a lot of times and we see ourselves in who we've been. We don't give ourselves credit for who we've become. And that's where we get stuck into that um, mindset, then another great book, Mindset. And that's um, where it's called a fixed mindset, but we call it stuck. People get stuck in their old thinking and that's where you're possibly stuck in your old thinking. Mm. Where growth mindset now, of course, a growth mindset can be ego-driven and just, oh, well, you know, I'm the greatest, but you're not coming from that space. You're coming from courageous humility. So the second thing that we say, we need to do courageous activities. So this is what you're doing with your podcast mm, and what you've just yeah, done. Exactly. Now, your example of being vulnerable now, so it's not just the, the thinking, but doing courageous activities. So if you're very timid to try and do some public speaking or standing up in front of someone, if you're a person who doesn't say anything at the meeting and sits back in the corner, well, maybe you've got to try and find a way to be a bit more assertive rather than aggressive. 
or if you're someone who's always cutting people off and talking too much and you want to and reduce your controlling aspect of heart styles, well, maybe there's a way you've got to practice some activities that are opposite to what you're used to. And that stretches your character. The other thing, yeah, then is, is, is being um, courageous with others. So it's a little bit about just knowing, well, admitting mistakes is always a good one for this <laughs> um, because that's one of the hardest things that we can do, not only to ourselves but particularly with other people. Sure is. Uh, ego right. can get in the way, can't it? And also honouring other people when they're being ineffective. I think this is a, a really good one that we write about in the, in the book because that is being courageous with other people. It's, it's being able to choose to see someone positively and look into their heart rather than just react to their behaviour. That is a really character-building <laughs> process because it's not easy to do. Right. It was such a judgmental world, aren't we, Jim, like out there looking, you know, you sit in Starbucks and people watch and... <laughs> And all of a sudden, we can start looking at all the faults in everybody else. Right. And then, you know, on our, on our work team or sporting team or family, and there's just a point that we believe character development is being able to look at people and have the compassion to look past the behavior and say, wow, you know, they're having a bad day or a bad week. Someone, you know, gives you the finger in the traffic and you can go, you can react to that or you can go... And be, Maybe they're they're having a bad day. Right. I wouldn't. Do, I, you know. I, I think when I see stuff like that, I think I used to maybe tend towards that more. And I drive around giving people the finger in traffic. But man, my wife has made me such a better person because she's she's the one who opened my eyes to that first. Is like you know maybe that person's having a bad day, right? And I think to myself, mm. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't react that way, or at least I don't anymore, because mm. I, I feel like I've had the openness and insights to realize that and unfortunately for that person they they don't have those same insights and no. I, I you know you you no. i wish they would right I, I pray that they they would gain those insights and, and it makes you a happier person yeah, yeah and, and that's when, when you're doing that you're actually developing your character you're mm. strengthening your character as you're being compassionate doesn't mean you agree but you go well maybe that person's having a bad moment or a bad day mm. What that does for you is it stretches something in your heart that says, I don't, I don't need to go below the line. I don't need to react to that. And when you stay above the line, you end up having a better day. So you actually feel it. This is the beautiful thing about the heart. You feel it when you're living above the line because you feel a strength where you feel it when you're below the line because that's called stress and tension and anxiety. So you know, this, this is how we grow our character. Of course, the other thing in being compassionate is, is forgiveness. Mm. And I don't so that's know. Another, another way to do it, isn't it? It's practicing forgiveness, which is in some ways what you're talking about, you know, even in simple things like that, that someone cuts you off in the traffic to, you know, if you go along the, the continuum of that is, is forgiving people who um, have betrayed you or have, you know, really exhibited behaviour that's, that's very hurtful. Practising gratitude is also another one. I think that's becoming much more popular these days too. A lot of people practise um, having gratitude. But just as something as simple as that in every morning, you know, just, well, for some of us who've had health issues, <laughs> being alive is a really great thing. Um, but practising gratitude that is, is a really beautiful way of just remembering and recalling what reality is rather than getting stuck in our own truth right. um, with what we think the world is. Um, and then, of course, the last thing is, is giving yourself some practising quiet time of either through meditation or prayer, mm. you know, whatever you find. Some people do that by going for walks in, in the, their beautiful surrounds in a park, like we live in London. So there's a lot of beautiful parks and the river and everything you can walk along and just spend some time for yourself. And in that time, you know, either working with your heart and finding what that gold in there and just re-strengthening that in yourself or releasing some of the, um, the negative emotions around that. I think, Jim, one of the things that we do on, on a, even a high-level corporate program with big leaders who are driving results, 
But what, what we'll do is give them an opportunity to practice a, a meditation of shifting, shifting energy and shifting their heart. And, and it's very simple. It's just stop and shift your heart to where love is. Mm. And, of course, love is the new four-letter word in the corporate world. Sure. <laughs> We've bought this world. Could you imagine well, when we started developing yeah. heart styles? <laughs> oh, I took that. And, like, this was 1994 we started our research. Yeah, ahead of your time. We Way were, ahead. I think. And we were, we, you know, every bit of research we did was telling us, don't use the word love, don't use the word humility in the corporate world, you, and just change it. So we, fi- time we fired I- the marketing companies. <laughs> 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 and every time okay. we went away and meditated, we just felt very strongly and spiritually, no, these are the values that, that we need on our planet to, whilst we're driving results. I think people think if you just humility and love, it's all wishy-washy, you know, tree-hugging, kumbaya, and all of that, and, and it's not. And, you know, look at, I know we've mentioned Nelson Mandela in our book because, you know, we admire people like that who can change a nation and do it out of humility and love. So they're the sort of leaders that we're looking for. And, and what, what we do on these corporate programs is we just get people to sit back in their chair, uncross their arms, uncross their legs, and just shift your heart to where love is. And it changes mm, the atmosphere. Now, if we could do that in our office, if we could practice this in our car before we walk in the door at home when we're super stressed out from a big day, we're dealing with problems or dealt with failure, can we just stop? and shift our heart and posture our heart to love. And that, that is a very great character strength if we can do that because then we walk into the home with different energy. We walk into the home as, as dad or mum and bring that positive loving energy into the atmosphere that we're, we're walking into. And um, that's what we're looking for in, in the offices. That's what we're looking for at work. The people are engaged most of the time in this above-the-line behavior and values. And I want to address what you just said about failure, right? Because when we fail, a lot of times we end up below the line. And for the listener, you know, once you fill out the assessment, you'll gain a deeper understanding of below the line. But I think you get it regardless, right? Below the line, above the line. I think we all understand what that means sort of just generally. Um, But when we fail, right, whether it's in that, you know, in that sales presentation, or we fail in that we lost our temper with our kids, or we fail in that we hit the snooze button and slept in late and didn't do our workout. Is it a matter of hitting the pause button and, and going in, inside once and, and, and recognizing what we're thinking and what we're feeling and shifting to a mindset of love for ourselves so that we can you know, not beat ourselves up, up over that and, and allow us to live that fuller life. Because, you know, going back to the quote I talked about earlier, there's no passion to be found playing small, you said, mm-hmm. in, in settling for a life that is less than one you're capable of living. But when we fail, we, we beat ourselves up. We have self-doubt. We tell ourselves these stories mm-hmm. that because I failed, I'm not good enough, smart enough, capable enough. So mm-hmm. let me settle. Let me lower my goals. Let me pull back a little bit. Absolutely. So true, Jim. And you've summed it up brilliantly because that's small. The two things that get a hold of us when we fail is shame and guilt. And that, they, they become the cancer. They become in, into our thinking and our heart. And you just described it brilliantly. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. What if I do that again? And if you've had you know, emotional uh, failures in, in relationships, uh, financial, one, you know, uh, one, one of my stories is, you know, I had a huge financial failure trying to take a risk. And then to, to start another business, that was before 87 and, and, th- and that was 85. And then in 87, I'm going to start this business. And the fear that was around me that if I do this again and if I fail again, so... Shame and guilt get hold of us. Now, yeah, I mean, tell us more about that because you failed and now you're thinking, I want to start another business. I mean, how did you deal with that? How did you work through that? And, and thank goodness you had the, the, the confidence and the, the mindset to do it because you've created something amazing that's changing the world. 
Um, how did you work through that? <laughs> well, part of it's stupidity. <laughs> 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 like, oh, goodness me. But it, it was, you know, these words that are so commonly overused at time. But the passion that I had, um, my, the, the business I failed in was in furniture manufacturing. And I was never meant to manufacture furniture. It was just an idea that I had back in the 80s. Started the business in 1980. It grew, you've heard of the saying, it grew too fast, too quick. And it basically, um, this was obviously across Australia and then we had a recession and all of a sudden it was just too much debt. It wasn't managed or stewarded well and I basically lost everything. I lost my home, family, marriage. Like I went through incredible loss. But I still had this passion that started in me when I was 19. And I'd studied all through my 20s of you know, psychology and theology. So I still had this burning passion. And sometimes you know, we hear this so often that if that business didn't fail, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Mm. And by that business failing and me having to pick myself up, went through a very, very difficult time so difficult you know, you're even suicidal at times when you've gone through such a tragic loss i was left with two dollars in the bank it just you know ruined my marriage and, and you know it was a terrible time but you know what it did it just just drove me more to say what is what's happening in my heart what how can i transform myself and that's where i just i lit another fire in my heart and fortunately, Jim, I had a few people around me that believed in me, that spoke into my heart, spoke into my life. And, you know, you only need those one or two people to come and pour some fuel on the fire. And if you've got those one or two people, I hope your listeners are saying, like, well, you know, who are the two or three people that are, that are very close to me? If I've gone through a failure, the best thing you can do is share it and be vulnerable and not just try and do it on your own because part of it, you're embarrassed. You've got shame and you've got guilt. But then I had this incredible opportunity, and this is, again, an, an, another guy, Tom Hopkins, he's an American sales trainer, gave me an opportunity to come and work for him doing this leadership training. And that was my in to what I'm doing today. And if that business didn't fail, I wouldn't be doing what we're doing and, and started that in 1987. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Once you get some perspective on failure, you can look back on it and go, wow, well, thank goodness that that happened. But when, it, when it's happening, we don't have that perspective, right? It's the worst thing in the world. But when we gain that perspective through usually just through time uh, or through somebody else who can help us gain that perspective, we can see the value and the benefits of it. So, yeah. And that's where I was humble enough to learn from the mistakes, see where I didn't steward the, the previous business well. So then stewarding this business, and even though we've gone, you know, for 33 years, we've gone through, you know, global financial crisis and all sorts of things happening. And we're in, we're in the, the UK going through Brexit the last, you know, four years. Um, so there are always things that are impacting, but because uh, I learned from my previous failure and implemented that learning in my second business. And I suppose that's, that's the other thing to admit your mistakes, to admit your own shortcomings and it takes humility to do that. Or the ego just comes, cuts in and says, Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was everybody else's fault. But that's where I'm having the humility and the courage to say, you know what, these are the 10 things that I could have done better and I'm going to apply them to my next business. And then I just had the, the courage to go out there and do it. And, uh, here we are a few years later. Yeah, Stephen, thank you for sharing that. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to shortchange Mara, so I want to make sure Mara gets a chance to share her own failure. I don't know if, Mara, are you, are you able to top that? Mara's has been health. Yeah, my, well, I suppose that's my failure. Yeah, my failure. Um, I've been incredibly blessed with an incredible career. And um, oh, other than some of the stuff we've had to go through with this business together, um, which maybe will be for another program. But, yeah, for me, I have had cancer quite a few times. And the first time I had it was when I was uh, 21. And I was at university and very vain, so very, very fit, and uh, first person in my family at that point to get cancer, and I, I got breast cancer. And I'd love to say that I've dealt with it 
in a very noble fashion, but I didn't. I, um, I basically hardened my heart and out of fear and really made a, an inner vow that said, I will never let this happen to me again. So I have to get fitter and stronger and mentally tougher so that it never does. And um, that's probably okay. But when I was 30, um, I ended up with ovarian cancer. And for lots of reasons, it wasn't, well, actually, for the main reason was me, fear. Uh, I let it go, let it go, let it go, not realising how bad it was. And it was stage four by the time it was diagnosed. And I went through a lot of anger because it was, uh, I mean, stage four ovarian cancer is not a positive prognosis. But long story short, I believe that in changing my heart, um, I had a bit of an encounter moment that, that changed everything um, in terms of how I saw myself and my situation. And I believe that that really helped me fight in a different way with a lot of peace. Can you, yeah. Can you share that encounter moment? Yeah. I um, Okay. I, I used to go to a, um, a help group that was run by the hospital. And interestingly, would you believe that my doctors were the guys I went to school, I went to uni with because I started medicine. <laughs> so they were friends, you know, and I used to go to this, this group. And on this particular night, it was a Wednesday, I had this experience where I felt myself not exactly come out of my body, but I just started to observe the people in, in the room. And I realized that there were two groups. One, a very, very angry group of people. And the second one was a group of people who had such dignity and such peace. And yet they were the ones that were actually towards the end of their life. And to my horror, I realized that I was in the first group because I was angry and I was fighting with anger. Every time that chemo was in my system, it would, in those days, it was quite painful. It still can be in certain times. Um, and I would hate that thing. I would call it poison. And I went home uh, and cried the entire night till about five in the morning. And that next day, I had made a decision that I needed to let go of the end of the outcome because I was holding on with absolutely fingernails and everything else. I was so angry about the outcome, the potential outcome. And I, f I felt I really needed it to let it go. And the only thing that I had left was every day, every moment of the day, making a decision to be the best person that I could be no matter what I had left. And I believe that that actually changed things but I then went back to my doctors and said, I want one more go at the chemo. And they initially said no, because my, I was very, very weak and had a big argument with them. And they said, okay, well, there's actually, uh, you can do this when you're friends with people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they said, actually, there's a, a experimental medication that's just coming out. You know, would you, we can't guarantee it. And I said, well, you know what, it's going to kill me in three weeks. It's going to kill me in three months. We'll have a go. And long story short, it took. So it saved my life. Wow. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, thank you. I still think that the most interesting thing is that the, the first day at the end of that last chemo cycle, where I was actually feeling a bit like myself, I uh, went to a training course and I met Stephen. So <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was pretty, uh, pretty good. So. What a journey, what a journey and what a realization that, that all you can control is all you can control and that you're going to live every day being your best and, and, and focusing on that. I mean, that's a lesson that we can all take with us. I appreciate you sharing that. Stephen and Mara, if you could give the, the listener one action item, like one thing that they can do in the next 24 to 48 hours to really start moving towards their goals and understanding more of who they are, what would you suggest? Oh, I've got two things. I might say one for, them, for themselves. I think don't be afraid of looking at your foibles <laughs> because everyone else probably knows them anyway and you're only hiding them from yourself and trying to toughen yourself against them like I did uh, doesn't work. It doesn't actually grow your character because all you're doing is putting on a coat of a below-the-line coping strategy. And a coping strategy 
like toughening up yourself or trying to get approval from other people or bossing everyone around to get control actually doesn't grow your character. What grows your character is being able to say, okay, these are the areas I really need to work on. Who can help me with that by being vulnerable to them? And who or how can I help myself? What is, what's one thing that small thing that I can do that's slightly different from yesterday where I'm not afraid to step into who I know I can become? Yeah, and Gemma, I, I would say to all, all of your listeners and all of us in life to, to continually ask ourselves the why question. Why am I or others behaving that way? Mm. And to, to ask themselves, is it coming from self-limiting fear? Is it coming from ego-driven pride, our four principles? And how could I shift to courageous humility or growth-driven love. And as people ask themselves, they will feel a shift in their heart, a shift in their thinking, and thus a shift in their behavior. And I'll add one more action item to that for the listener. Buy the book. Buy the book. Read the book. <laughs> Take the heart styles indicator. It's fascinating to see where you're at, where you're above the line, where you're below the line, and you'll gain tremendous insight into yourself and how you can continue to grow as a person. Stephen and Mara, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, buy your book, etc.? Thank you for having us. Well, first of all, uh, the book is on Amazon, so Above the Line, Living and Leading with Heart. It's also in it's Barnes and across North the North US. North. It's released in the UK and Australia and rest of the world, February and March. Uh, our website is heartstyles.com. And of course, you know, there's Twitter and there's Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. So we're a bit hopeless the, with the that. The difficulty <laughs> is having been, having a name, Stephen Clemick, and the only one in the world with that name, you put that into Google, <laughs> everything easy to find. life comes up. <laughs> I'm obviously Excellent. not that important because I, I don't yeah. think I've got very much online. Mind. So people follow us. We're, we're trying to, as much as we can, give, give away you know, free information and help people on yeah. their journey. And when, when you follow us, as, as much as possible to encourage people to be their best selves. Excellent. And for the listener, as always, I'm going to grab everything that we just talked about here, uh, including the six, six steps to growing your character and, and then all the, also the link to the book and social media profiles. We're going to put all that in the action plan. You can go just over to jimharshawjr.com slash action and get the PDF action plan from this episode. Stephen and Mara, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Thank, thank you so you. much, thank you, Jim. Jim. And for the listeners, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. Yeah.